In the fight to get Americans to quit smoking, and especially American kids, nobody has been more tenacious, more vocal, more in-your-face than our guest. He helped banish Joe Camel. He's fought for tough anti-smoking commercials on television. He led the research showing the harm of secondhand smoke, and he's developed a huge public searchable collection of the millions of pages of tobacco documents that have come out in court. These are the documents that are giving critics ammunition to challenge the tobacco companies with their own statements. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. My notorious guest is Dr. Stanton Glantz, professor of medicine at the University of California in San Francisco and a leading expert on tobacco in the media. He's written more than 440 articles, reports, testimony, peer-reviewed journal articles, and books on tobacco control issues. He's here to talk to us about tobacco issues in Washington and in Hollywood. This is the special Hollywood edition of the Washington Health Report, issues that have been getting a lot of attention. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Is it fair to call you notorious, or was that over the top? Well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> now, I understand... If, if you ask the tobacco companies or my kids, that's what they would say. They, 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 your kids would say you're notorious. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, now, you've had a long, successful career as an anti-tobacco campaigner and researcher, and now apparently you're making your move to Hollywood, I gather. Right. Well, in the last 10 years, a lot of research has appeared showing that smoking in the movies has a direct effect on stimulating kids to smoke. Smoking in the movies is actually a more potent promoter of smoking among adolescents than cigarette advertising is. Say that again because it sounds unbelievable. Smoking in the movies is more persuasive than advertising to kids. Is that right? Right. That's right. And and it's, it's, there's it's research probably, that shows, pardon me? There's research that shows that? Yes. There's about 100 studies that have been done of the effects of smoking in the movies on adolescents. And uh, what it shows is that the kind of images in movies are much more like the images of cigarette advertising than reality, that there's about as much smoking in the movies today as there was way back in 1950, when about twice as, more than twice as many people smoked as do today. And so it, the smoking in the movies forms a, what psychologists call a social norming function. It convinces kids that it's the normal, established thing to do. And there are also very large population-based epidemiological studies that show the more smoking in the movies kids see, the more likely they are to smoke. Part of the point here is that it, it, in the 50s, say, or, or earlier, smoking was the norm and it was reflected in the movies. What you're saying now is that smoking is much less than norm, or certainly much less than it was then. Right. But you wouldn't know it by watching the movies. Right. What happened in the movies is the amount of smoking slowly decreased from the 50s till, the, till about 1990. And since about 1990, it's about doubled. And so even though the amount of smoking in society is way down, the amount of smoking in the movies is way up. And furthermore, in society, the kind of people who smoke tend to be poor people, kind of disenfranchised people, the bottom of the social ladder. Whereas if you look at the movies, it tends to be the power figures, the desirable people, or the rebellious characters, all themes of cigarette marketing. And the amount, basically the kids who see a lot of smoking in the movies, the kids in the most exposed groups are about three times as likely to start smoking as the kids who don't see much smoking in the movies. We, we've estimated that about 390,000 kids a year start smoking because of the movies. That's just about enough to replace all the smokers that tobacco companies kill every year. We know from the tobacco documents, which you have so assiduously uh, collected and cataloged, that product placement in the movies was a big deal uh, yes. for a while. And then I, th I thought we knew that that went away. So the question is, you know, what, why is this 
happening. Are you suggesting that the tobacco industry is somehow involved or are these artistic decisions by people in Hollywood? What's happening? The theme of the smoke-free movies campaign that I launched six years ago is are they corrupt or stupid? If Hollywood is giving away about $4 billion worth a year of new smokers to the tobacco industry without getting paid for it, they're stupid. What's that, $4, four billion for in every, sales? Every, if you take each cohort of new kids who start smoking, the three, if you take the 390,000 kids a year that start to smoke because of the movies and look at the lifetime value of revenues to the cigarette companies, it's about $4.1 billion a year. If Hollywood is is delivering a new group of kids, smokers, who are going to give the tobacco companies $4.1 billion a year. And if, they're do, if Hollywood is giving that to big tobacco for free, then they're stupid. If they're continuing to get paid off, they're corrupt. Wouldn't some enterprising reporter or somebody be able to figure, figure that out if well, they're still being paid? Well, people have looked, and, and what we know is that in the past there was a lot of product placement, but it was more than just, you know, a contract with the producers. There was a lot of under-the-table money, you know, deal, you know, people paying off directors, actors, writers, property masters, giving them you know, jewelry, free cigarettes, inviting them to the right parties. And everybody denied it. And then when we proved it using the documents, they just sort of pretended it didn't happen. And now now we know, we, we know that the tobacco companies told Congress in 1989 that they would stop doing product placement. And we know from the, doc, the secret documents we now have that it continued at least into the mid-'90s, and then the trail goes cold. When, when Hollywood flashes a brand on the screen, they either have a clearance or a product placement deal. And all of the Marlboros and other cigarettes, which are being waved around on screen, you know, it's just hard to believe all that's by accident. Whether they're getting paid off for it or not doesn't really matter. What matters is the effect, and the effect of all the smoking in the movies is that about 390,000 kids a year start to smoke. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to a very impassioned Dr. Stan Glantz, uh, an expert on tobacco control about smoking in the movies. And that's why groups like the American Medical Association, the Academy of Pediatrics, the Heart and Lung Associations, the American Legacy Foundation, and the World Health Organization have all gotten on board in saying that we ought to have smoking in the movies integrated into the rating system. So, so what it, yeah, what is the proposal? The proposal, we have four proposals. The first and most important is that movies with smoking in them get an R rating. Basically, what we're asking for is that smoking in the movies be tra- treated the same way as using the F word. If you use the F word in a sexual context, you get an R rating. So when people make movies that they want to sell to teenagers, movies that are rated PG-13, they just leave the swearing out. And what we want is the smoking left out of movies that are directed at kids. The simple, cost-free act of amending the rating system, which is controlled by the studios, it's a voluntary system. If smoking in the movies generated an R rating, that would prevent about 200,000 kids a year from starting to smoke. Do we know that? How well do we, how sure are we? Well, that? We're, we're very sure of it because there is this linear, what's called a dose-response relationship. The more smoking in the movies kids see, the more likely they are to smoke. 
And about half the exposure kids get to smoking in the movies is in youth-rated films, mostly PG-13 movies. And if we got the smoking out of those PG-13 movies, then you would cut the dose, and so you would cut the effect in half. I know you've heard this before. I'm not the first one to bring it up, but Casablanca with, with uh, Bogart well, you know, as a non-smoker. That, right. I, mean, I how, get you know... so tired of hearing about Casablanca. <laughs> first of all, I doubt that there are millions of teenagers watching Casablanca. Yeah. The second thing is that no one is proposing to re-rate old movies. We're talking about a prospective solution moving forward. A slightly more serious question would be, pick your favorite Sean Penn, you know, as some downtrodden character, you know, that draw and that cigarette kind of well, shows, and, and, you know. And we are not proposing a ban on smoking in the movies. If Sean Penn want, really thought it was artistically necessary to smoke, they would just have an R rating. That's all. Just like Sean Penn could decide whether or not to use the F word, you know. If they use the F word, they get an R rating. It's an artistic decision. The decision is left up to the producers and the actors and the directors. We're simply asking for labeling in a way which will reduce the exposure that kids get to smoking in the movies. Now, you're, you're making a very a rational, reasonable argument, but for years you tried to make, what would you say, six years it's been since you started this campaign. Right. And for years you couldn't get a phone call returned or a letter returned or even acknowledge that anybody received it, isn't that right? right? So yeah, what's, the, what's, the, what's the resistance? What's the problem? Well, you know, there's, again, the question is, is Hollywood corrupt or stupid? You know, they, the payoffs may still be continuing. If you look at the denials that have come out of the Motion Picture Association, which is the lobbying arm for the big studios and the organization that controls the rating system, they're very carefully worded to say that the big studios are not entering into product placement deals. That doesn't mean that the 80% of films that they distributed, which are independently produced, aren't. That doesn't mean that there aren't some kind of trades or swaps. That doesn't mean that the tobacco companies might not be coming in as investors, which is something we've heard. A big industry confab they had the end of February called Show West in Las Vegas. Dan Glickman, the head of the Motion Picture Association, was forced to address this issue in the big speech he gave. Now, we didn't like what he said. He's continuing to stonewall. But, well, what he said was that they have to worry about artistic freedom and that they're very concerned about this and its censorship. But the fact that he was forced to even address the issue, in our view, represents movement. And we know from people we're working with on the inside that there are at least some important people inside the studios now that realize that we're right, that they're behaving in a totally irresponsible way. Actors love to have causes. Are there any any actors that have you know, uh, gotten on board? You know, that's been the one real disappointment. We There are people inside the community who have helped us. They have advised us. They have told us what's going on. But we have not been able to get anybody to go public. And the reason is because the perception in Hollywood is that the tobacco interests are still on top. And everybody says the same thing when we talk to them about going public. They say, if I came out publicly supporting you, I would never work again. There's a real concern of blacklisting for taking a pro-health position. Well, that really suggests that there's some, some really 
important subterfuge of some sort that the, as you say, maybe tobacco companies are financing independent films and so forth. But it's well, again, that's if, certainly what it suggests. If it was but that again, big, it, again, you know, if somebody's out poisoning the water supply. It doesn't really matter if they're doing it because they're getting paid to do it or if they're doing it because they're jerks. You know, what we need is we need a very broad action on the part of the medical profession and the public to continue putting pressure not on the studios but on groups like Time Warner, Disney and Sony. Those three companies account for ha- over half the youth exposure. So just to, we're just about out of time, but just briefly, what do you predict over the next year or two? Are, are you, do you expect to continue to get traction? Are you optimistic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of pieces in motion now, and I think that I, we're going to get the R rating within the next couple of years. That will bring us to a close, our special Hollywood edition of the Washington Health Report. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Stan Glantz, professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Glantz. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You've been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.